grown. Uh, initially, in my mind, I just thought this would be three Sundays. We are in our fourth. There's no chance I'm going to finish what I have on my iPad today uh, because there are, there are lots of things that need to be said, particularly on this subject of giving. And, and the reason there needs to be so much said on this subject of giving is because in the words of some president of America, there's too much fake news. There is too much fake news about giving. The, the internet, Facebook, social media is awash of untruth about the subject of giving. And so because of that, we want to make sure that we as a church, you as individuals, are grounded on God's word. God's word is uh, a light to our life. It shows us the way forward. God who made us, created us, knows exactly what is best for us. He knows what is right for us as a church because Christ is the head of the church. And as Christ is the head of the church, we should be wanting to do things as Christ wants us to do them. Not as we think best or not as an organization or a man thinks best. We need to be doing it according to God's word. And so as we started this series on money, we looked initially at three principles. God owns everything. And throughout God's word, we read this. It is God's. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The maker, the creator is the owner. And we should worship him and adore him. What a great God to make this world. What a great God to, to make us as individuals. What a great God. You can see me now. He made your eyes. You can hear me. He made your ears. You are understanding what I said. He made your brain. He made everything. And so he owns everything. All the gold and silver is his. All the resource is his. And anything that man has ever managed to achieve is because of God. But God has blessed us and God has enabled us as humans, and, and he's given us something special. He, he's given us, the, the, as I said that first Sunday, he is the author of private ownership of property. You and I can own things for ourselves. That's God's way. And, and so in your pocket, you may have some money or a card or a phone. That is yours. That is your personal possession. And you have that because God mandated it. You're upset if somebody steals something from you. And God mandated that you shall not steal. And so God gave us this right, this authority to own things. But not only did he give us this, he gave it as a responsibility. We are to be his stewards. He wants us to look after his money wisely. He's, he's lent it to us for while we're on this earth. Our money is not for eternity. Our money is for this life. And while we're going through this life, we need to use our money, use our resources to God's glory as his steward. So we need a right attitude to money. And the, the, the next week after, we looked at those three principles. We, we looked at what a right attitude to money is. And a, a right attitude to money comes from a right attitude to God. If your heart is not right with God, your heart will never be right with money. It's, it's a fact for every part of our life. It could be a motto for every bit of our life. We need a heart 
that is right with God. We need an attitude that is right with God. We need to be right with God, and then we can be right with money. But there were some tips with having the right attitude to money. And that was we should focus on contentment. The world focuses on grasping. Every advert you see is saying, buy me, have me, want me. And and that's what the world is fueled by. And God in his word tells us, no. Be content. Sit back. Take a breath in. And think about the things that God has given you rather than all those things that the world is telling you that you've not got. And remember that this money that we have is only for life. Friends, if we want a right attitude to money, we need to be focusing on eternity. This world is not enough. This world will never satisfy. That's because we were made and hardwired by God to go to heaven, to be with him, to be in glory. And we need to focus on eternity and focusing on God will help us to have a right attitude to money. We live in a world where money is important. We live in a world which needs money to to be able to, to feed yourself, to educate yourself, to house yourself, to be able to look out for each other. Money is not evil. It's a necessity. And having lots of money is not evil. And having very little money is not a curse. Both of them can be very hard. Both of them can be a blessing. Money is neutral in that sense, but what goes wrong with money depends on our attitude. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, as God's word tells us. And this comes to what we were looking at last week intensely, and that was how to get money. Because we we need money. And money is what we have in our lives. And it's not wrong to get it. And and so last week we had a key verse. A key verse from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. And you know it well. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. And, And so we need a mindset that is focusing on what is important. God and his kingdom. And as we focus on God and his kingdom, the other stuff will work itself out. And the three main ways of of gaining money was a gift without obligation, a, a true gift, a gift that hadn't got strings attached. And then we looked that you can earn money legitimately, earn money in a legal way, earn money in a righteous way, earn money from the sweat of your brow and hard work. And uh, those of you that weren't here last night, you missed out on, on a very special evening. It, it, was, it was a huge privilege for me to be here this, yesterday evening and, and effectively do nothing and just sit and listen to how members of this congregation, members of this church family, had been enabled by God to earn money righteously and holy on this island. And and, and what was particularly humbling was the Lord had provided for them because they had seeked first God's kingdom. 
There was a brother sharing that he said at a stage in his life, I'm not going to work on Sundays. I'm going to give this job up because I need to be in church on Sundays. And God blessed him in his situation. There were others who, there was a situation was that it wasn't a righteous job. And they said, no, we're not going to do this. Others with great opportunities and they decided to do something that was not a great opportunity in the world's eye to do what was right by God. And through their hard work and through their persistence and through their keeping at it, and and one person shared that they sent out over a hundred CVs to get a single job. We could give God the glory that he enabled them to work. Friends, getting work on this island is not impossible. It's extremely difficult, but it's not impossible. And as as we heard last night, we were just encouraged to hear that friends had worked hard, had gone through difficulties, had even learned some Turkish by Google Translate, and God blessed it. So so don't, don't think it's impossible. And, and I'm just sad that we didn't have the foresight to record it or, or, or make better use of that time because it's just such an encouragement to hear that what I was preaching on last Sunday was being applied in the hearts and the lives of people here. And God is no man's debtor. And if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he doesn't promise it easy, but he says, and all these things will be added to you. And that was a testimony of yesterday evening. In earning money legitimately, we also have to remember we need to spend it wisely and invest it wisely. And there was a great warning last week about earning money illegitimately. There will be lots and lots of people this morning, very, very sad, that Liverpool lost yesterday. Not because they're Liverpool supporters, but because they thought financially... Liverpool would win. And they've left all their money at Nicosia Betting and Hippie Bet and some online app. And it happens. And that's not good stewardship of God's money. As Brother Bola was emphasizing again and again and again about Bitcoin and the first letters of that means cry. And we've seen a lot of people crying over Bitcoin this last few months. There is righteous ways of earning money. There are many young men and some young women in the prison because they've been trying to earn money illegally, illegitimately, selling illegal products, getting involved in illicit ways, scamming money. None of these things are righteous. None of these things bring glory to God. And maybe you think, but it's the only way to make money on the island. It is not. It is not. There are righteous ways to make money on this island. And God honors those who honor him. We finished up with the statement last week that we are not to give, to get. And this is where a lot of the teaching about giving is so wrong and so divisive and so frankly upsetting. 
And that's the notion that a lot of us have been sold, that if we give to God's work, God has to then give us something in return. And in researching for this and looking for this, I saw a matrix, a code of how to gain greater percentages. Can you imagine? Somebody, and I'm still trying to find it in God's word, managed to make a matrix and tell you how to do a seed offering that will guarantee a certain percentage return. And there were percentages of returns that would make Bitcoin blush. Yeah, this was like serious, serious, serious returns of money on just putting in the offering. Friends, we don't get this from God's word. You're not to give to get. And and the next, this week and going on to next week, we're going to look at that in more detail and, and flesh out from God's word because there can be some misunderstanding. And there can be, and there will be, and I'll be making a point shortly to say that giving, you do get blessed. But giving is not a transaction. You can't say to God, here's my $10 and I'm expecting my 100 in a week's time. Here's my $10 and my fasting and I need 1,000 in two weeks' time. Here is 10, no, it's not in God's word. But what we have got in God's word is, is, a, is an absolute guide to how we should be giving individually and then how we should be structuring giving as a church. And so, and so this week I'll be looking just particularly about ourselves and our attitude and, and what our responsibility to giving is. Uh, and then next week we'll then be looking at uh, how that should be structured within church life, what we should be doing uh, as, as, as a church. And so I've read, or we've had read for us this morning, three passages from the New Testament. And and we'll be concentrating in those passages uh, from the New Testament. And and the reason I'm concentrating on these New Testament passages is because, friends, we are living in New Testament times. Christ has come. He died on the cross to save his people from their sins. And the whole of the Old Testament was building up to the Lord Jesus Christ coming. And he's came. And so now we're living in New Testament times. And so some of the teaching and some of the principles from the Old Testament time stay in the Old Testament time. I think a lot of our confusion and misunderstanding comes from us taking Old Testament verses out of context and applying them to the New Testament time now. Now, of course, when a New Testament principle is from the Old Testament, we have to take it on board and obey it because that's where we're at. But generally speaking, as New Testament people, we need to concentrate our principles and thoughts on what God is saying to us now, from the New Testament, in conjunction with how the Old Testament guides us. So we'll be concentrating our thoughts from the New Testament. But also we will be backing that up, where it's backed up, with the Old Testament. And then maybe that some of the passages that cause us confusion, we'll either deal with them through the sermons, or we can catch up on Zoom and, and talk through those ones in more depth. So that the first passage we're going to be looking at this morning is that one in 2 Corinthians and, and chapter 
8. Uh, if you want to have your Bibles open, I'd encourage you to have them open there uh, at 2 Corinthians and, and chapter 8. Corinthians was a church. Paul was writing to the Corinthians. He wanted this church to, to grow in Christ. He wanted this church to be established. And, and right in the middle of the, the second letter to Corinthians, there's two chapters about giving. Chapters 8 and chapters 9. And the Apostle Paul is speaking on giving. And then right in the middle of this, the Apostle Paul focuses in on something that's just so important to us with regard to our giving. And it's here in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. Paul's talking about giving. And then he says, For you know, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, we like this idea of becoming rich. We have to work out what that actually means. This is not a guarantee for Bitcoin going up. This is not a guarantee for your bank account suddenly bursting into life. This is not a guarantee for you suddenly getting lots of contracts tomorrow morning. We need to unpack and see what is going on here. It starts off by saying that he was rich. The Lord Jesus Christ was rich. And this is, this is an understatement. Paul undersold this. Think of this. Jesus Christ lived and worshipped in heaven. He was worshipped in heaven by the angels. He exercised his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, his greatness, his deity. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Almighty. He is God. He ruled without beginning, without end, with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And they created the universe. It was Christ whose words created the universe in the beginning as we read in the first gospel of John. And so Jesus is God and as God he owns everything and to say he's rich, he owns it all. Yeah, he is, He's beyond human wealth and yet despite this wealth Christ willingly chose to become poor. And the extent of his poverty or his becoming poor is underlined by where he came from. He was in heaven and he came to earth. He was in heaven and he came to earth. I don't know how to contrast this, but perhaps you get a little glimpse of this when you board the aeroplane. And you walk through first class, and you think, if only. Then you walk through business class and think, this still looks good. And then you see premium economy and think, yes, there's, there's some leg room there too. And then you get to your seat at the very, very back by the toilet. <laughs> and the very, very large man who hasn't washed for a long time. And you're cooped up there, and you're thinking, I could have been in the front. It's a silly illustration, but God left heaven. He, he left it. He gave it up. 
He left the wonder of wonders to come here. And God himself was born as a human. Can you, can you get your heads around that? You can't. Can you think about it? Yes, you should. God became human and he was born into this world. And he wasn't born into the great palace in Jerusalem. He was born in a stable because there was no room for him. And there was no bed for him. And he was wrapped in swaddling cloth and he was placed in a manger. And, and he lived an obscure life. Nobody really knew about Jesus for, for 30 odd years of his life. He just quietly got on. He wasn't in big business. He wasn't a great socialite. He was just Jesus working alongside his father for the time his father was alive in the carpentry store. He never accumulated great possessions. Even though someone told me that Jesus was rich when he was on this earth, and that's why we should be rich, because Jesus had a treasurer called Judas. Have you ever heard that? Oh, we all to be wealthy like Jesus, because Jesus had a treasurer. No. Jesus had nothing. When, when Jesus was crucified in the cross, what possessions did he have? He had a cloak. He had his clothes. And that was it. And what was Jesus doing on the cross at the end of his life when he hadn't amassed a great wealth as a king would have done in those days, as we aspire to in our days? He had nothing but what he did have, he gave up. Jesus Christ gave up his life. Yes, the Jews wanted him to be killed. Yes, the Romans nailed him to the cross. Yes, God the Father in that remarkable sense forsook him in some remarkable way that we don't quite get our heads around. But it was Christ that shouted out, it is finished. It was Christ who gave his last breath. It was Christ who gave his life. And Christ gave his life for the ransom of the sins of his people. If you are saved this morning, if you are going to heaven this morning, if you are right with God this morning, is because Jesus gave his life for you. It's because on that cross, when he was nailed in that shame and that agony, he was taking God's wrath for your sins. He was giving himself, he was giving everything of himself. And that's so that we can inherit Great riches. You see, friends, the world thinks great riches is a Porsche and a large penthouse apartment in Kyrenia and maybe a private jet if you're going to get really wealthy. But just think of this, what God has done for his people. Jesus gave his life so that we could be forgiven by God. So that we could be made right with God. So that we could call God our Father. We're adopted into his family because Jesus gave his life. We are justified with God. The Holy Spirit is with us because Jesus gave his life. We're at peace with God, the creator, the owner, and the sustainer. We're being sanctified. We're being made holy. And friends, we've got something amazing to look forward to. Just as Christ humbled himself and came to this world, 
We are getting upgraded from this world and we're going to be with Christ in perfection forever and ever and ever. That's riches. And these riches come to us because Jesus gave himself. And so friends, if you're a Christian, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, your giving should be motivated by Jesus. Jesus is our motivation for giving. And if your motivation for giving is getting something, if your motivation for giving is letting people see that you are giving, you got it wrong. The only motivation that we should have for our giving is Jesus. Because Jesus has given everything for us. Can you imagine if Jesus just tithed his life? I'm only going to do a 10% giving today. I'll, I'll take 10% of the crucifixion. I'll take 10% of the price. And, and then it's ridiculous, isn't it? He, he didn't just give us 50%. He gave 100%. And so this is how we should be thinking as disciples. We should be realizing that Christ gave himself for us. And I'm not saying you have to give all your money. But what we are to be is a living sacrifice. And our whole life and our whole attitude and our whole motivation should be around Jesus. We shouldn't be content with giving a a small fraction of our income. We shouldn't be content with giving a small fraction of our lives. He came and he gave everything. And he demands our everything. And so Christ's self-giving is the standard for our giving. It's it's the benchmark for us to be set. And and our giving is to be inspired by Christ. And our giving is to be instructed by Christ, who gave that inexpressible gift to us. I I love the way Brother Edging read that verse. And got there, and it was like a breath of, ah, this is incredible. This inexplicable gift that God has given to us. Jesus has done it. And so friends, what is your motivation for giving? What has your motivation of giving been? And for some of you, it's because your parents told you. For some of you, it's because your pastors told you. Because some of you, it's because you've been shamed into doing it. For some of you, it's because you're wanting to get... There's lots of wrong ways, yes. Let's confess them. Let's ask God to forgive us. Let's ask God to help us now as we move on in our lives to be inspired. And may our motivation for giving be our saviour the Lord Jesus Christ, because he gave everything so that we could be his. And if you don't know Jesus as your savior now, you may have things in this life, but you've got nothing for eternity. In fact, your eternity will be paying for what you've enjoyed and what you've sinned and what you've done wrong in this life. And the only thing that you can do now is realize your need of a Savior 
and come to that Christ and ask him to forgive you of your sins because of what he's done on the cross. And God's word tells us, and Jesus says to us, come unto me. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And there's no reason for any of you to leave here without being rich in Christ because he gave everything for his people. Everyone who calls on his name can have that. But as we move on, I want to move to to Jesus' teaching because Jesus is our motivation and and Jesus' teaching on giving. And we're going to move back to to Matthew and uh, chapter 6. So just have your Bibles open in Matthew chapter 6. It was one of the uh, readings that we had. It's headed up here in my Bible, uh, giving to the needy. It's Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's teaching his disciples. He's teaching those people around him. He's just spoken about loving your enemies. He's just about to teach about the Lord's Prayer. And just squeezed in the middle there is this section on giving. And, and the first point I want to make here from Jesus' teaching is Jesus expects us to give. Jesus expects us to give. You see, he's talking to his disciples here and he says to them, when you give. Do you get it? When you give. Not if you give, or if you'd like to give, or can you give, or should you give. It is very emphatically, when you give. So Christian friends, giving is not an option. It's not an option. It is essential. It's part of what Jesus has taught his disciples, and we are his disciples. And and some people have said, well, this all happened in the Old Testament, and giving and tithing is in the Old Testament, and it's not in the New Testament, and now we only have to give if we want to. I'm sorry? It's not about wanting to. It's about wenning to. I don't think that's English. It's about when you should Now, this is Jesus clearly teaching his followers. He's expecting them to be givers. And Christians, we need to ask ourselves, are we givers? Are we giving? And already that might be causing us problems because our idea of what giving may be may be something so wrong that you don't want to give because it's... Let's just work slowly through this, yeah? If we are a Christian, if we've been saved by grace, we should give. But we need to give for the right reasons. And and Jesus wants us to give for the right reasons. And that is our third point here this morning. Jesus wants us to give for the right reasons. You see, it seems as though there were people at that time called hypocrites. Have you heard the word hypocrite? I'm sure you have heard the word hypocrite. Uh, and and, and these, these hypocrites, they wanted uh, everyone to, to see what they were doing. They wanted to, to look good. They, they were showing off. They wanted to make that big sound. And giving to them was not about giving to God's work. But they were giving to themselves. 
And you say, well, how were they giving to themselves? They, they were putting money in the offering baskets, the offering pots. They were putting it there, but they were giving it to themselves. They weren't giving it to God. They were giving it to themselves in this way. I put my money here and look at me. Look at what I have done. Look at what I am achieving. We, we see this around the world in many different ways, don't we? we? We see the businessman, and he's got this big check. And he's giving it. And, and why is he giving it? Well, possibly because he wants to save tax. Definitely because he wants people around about him to say, look at him, isn't he good? And why is he giving? He's giving for himself. Now, there's lots of businessmen that have given big amounts of money, and they're just in it quietly. And we praise God for them. But you see these big people doing it. And sadly, 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 it seems as though this idea of, of showing off when you're giving has is, is got a lot of traction in the world. In researching, I, I just put some choice words into Uncle Google. And uh, I saw some amazing offerings. I saw great big baskets. I saw dance moves that you could, well, they would shame any disco or nightclub. I saw people queuing forward with great wads of money, putting it in, and they were saying, look at me. Look at who I am. Look at what I am doing. Look at my giving to God's work. And they're not giving to God's work. They're giving to themselves. They want to be noticed. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. One of the reasons, friends, we don't have great big baskets at the front or a big loud offering is we don't want us to be tempted by that. We don't need that temptation. You don't, you don't need that. To give, you need to be giving from the right reasons. And the right reason is because Christ has died for you on the cross. It's not, look at me, look at me, look what I am doing. That, that, that's wrong. And so we need to examine our motives. We, we need to ask God to, to help us. Are we desiring for God's glory and the good of his people? Or are we desiring approval from those around I have seen it with my own eyes. The announcement being made for those with 10,000 naira to come forward. I think that was a lack of faith on the preacher's part. He should have said 100,000 naira. He should be going for more, shouldn't he? But there's a number put. And those people that can afford the big come and they place it. And the rest of the congregation looks on. And then the amount gets smaller and smaller till eventually, well, it's just those five nairas, what's that? Where's God's glory in that? Where is God's glory in that? Where is the attitude in giving there? Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed before them. Are you giving for God's praise? Or are you giving for man's praise? 
That's a question we need to be asking ourselves. What is our motivation? Are we giving because Christ gave himself for us and we just can't do enough to express our love to him and that's what he wants us to do? Or are we doing it because, hey, hey, look at me. I'm thankful that I don't think that's the case here. And I'm thankful that I'm preaching to people who understand these things. But we live in a world where it's very different. And I want you to know what God's word tells us about these things. You see, Jesus wants us to give for the right reasons, but Jesus also wants us to give to the less fortunate. In that verse, it says, when you give, it says, when you give to the poor. When you give to the poor. Jesus is specifically teaching here about alms. And and this passage, in many ways, is about giving to charity, giving to benevolence, giving to uh, the the welfare of of those that are struggling. And and this is a principle that comes from the Old Testament. In in Deuteronomy, in in chapter uh, 15, the, the latter part of verse 7 goes on. It says, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother but you shall open your hand to him. The the Old Testament, God's chosen people there, the Jewish nation, were told to be kind and to be caring and not to hold your heart, but to look out for one another. And and in the Old Testament, the people of God were, were given this responsibility to look out for the needs of others. And then going on into Deuteronomy, uh, a bit earlier, sorry, in, in chapter 14, it talks about tithes and talks about tithes being given and, and they've been to given and laid up. And in verse 8, they be given and the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who within your towns shall come and eat and be filled. We have a responsibility to look out for those who are struggling. And God's provision for those in those days was this very way here of the church. Well, it wasn't the church then. It was the Jewish people collecting their tithes and their tithes being given and distributed to the Levites, the religious people who hadn't got work, but they were working for God in in the uh, synagogues and the sacrificing and the temple. And for those that couldn't eat and look after themselves. You see, it's interesting here, yes? It talks about the fatherless. It talks about the widow. It talks about the sojourner. That's the foreigner coming in. It doesn't say the lazy person who doesn't want to work here. It's talking about the people who have need. And we should be concerned about this. And then in the New Testament, it carries on. You see, in the Old Testament, gifts were made to the the Levites, who then distributed them to those in need. Uh, In the New Testament, these funds were very much distributed to the local church. Uh, In Acts chapter 4, we read in verse 32 that there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands, houses, sold them and bought the proceeds that were sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, this is not a passage telling you to give everything up. This is just a passage that's saying that we should be looking out for the needs 
of others. We need to be willing to give as much as needed to look out for those in need. And, and this giving is not for the pastors. It's not for the founders of the church. It's not to establish an empire. It's not even to build universities and, and things like that. It is to care for the needs of the pastors and the preachers and the people who are in need. And, and throughout Acts and the, Old, and the New Testament, we see the church providing for the poor. We see the church looking out for the needy. We see the church caring for their own, caring for their elders and their, and their pastors, taking care of them. And so our giving should be motivated by Christ. And our giving should be out of the right attitude. And our giving should be because Jesus has told us to. And our giving should be for the needy. And so we need to be challenging ourselves, don't we? And I think now particularly because of what's happening in the world economically, that there's a greater call upon the welfare of the church, isn't there, at the moment, because of what's happening around and about us. And we as a church, with God's help, need to respond. And we may be thinking, well, we haven't got money. Well, that's, that's, I'm not asking you to give something you haven't got, and that's going to be a principle in a moment, yes? But we should be asking God, how can we give? Is there a way that we can give? How can we take care of the, 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 those that are in need? We have a, a welfare team, and if you are in need, or if there are others that you see of within the church family that are in need, tell the welfare team, we want to take care. We want to look out. I have to say, we're not paying school fees. That, that, that's not a need, yes? But if, if someone is, is, is hungry, if someone's got a, a bill because of a, a health issue, we would want to help. We, we should help, yeah? And, and, and we need to care for each other in that way. And Jesus tells us, fifthly, Jesus tells us that our giving is to God. Our giving is to God. Jesus said, when you give, and then moving on to verse 4, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, this is what's going on here, isn't it? It's not about the world looking on and saying, what a great person you are. It's not about the church looking on and saying, what a great member they are. What we should be doing is thinking, God the Father is looking on. And, and God the Father sees what you're doing in secret, and he will reward you. Now, there's no percentage there. Yes? I, I'm not even convinced this is talking about a financial reward. But I do know that God will look after you. And I do know that God will take care of you. And I do know that every one of you is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior, has got an eternity to look forward to. And what a reward that will be. You see, when you give money to the church, when you give money to the Lord's work, you're not simply just adding to a total. What you're doing is, is, is you're giving up a thank offering to God the Father himself. And you're saying to God in, in, in your action and what you're doing is, is thank you. You've given me so much. Thank you. We want your, do we pray your kingdom come? Do you pray that? 
I hope you do, is that our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be it. Your kingdom come. How is God's kingdom going to come if the church isn't reaching out? How is the church going to reach out if it hasn't got the financial wherewithal to do it? You see, if we're praying for these things, if we're praying for his kingdom to come, if we're wanting people to go out to the nations, if we want to to be a light in this land, there is a financial commitment to it, and that needs to happen, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. As I said before, one of the reasons that we just have the offering boxes almost hidden at the back of the church is we don't want to make a big thing of the offering in the service. That can be a temptation to some, and it can be a real embarrassment to others, depending on your culture. What we want is for you to give in secret to your Heavenly Father, who will reward you. Maybe reward you in secret, maybe reward you in open, maybe maybe reward you in this life, certainly to reward you in what's to come. But Jesus is telling us that our giving is something between himself and yourself. Yeah? And I want to underline this. If I had a highlighter pen, I'd be saying, this is to highlight, yes? Your pastor or preacher or teacher, the elder, the founder the geo, or whatever it is, it's none of their business what you are giving. Your giving is between you and God the Father. And God the Father wants you to give in secret, quietly, and righteously. And those that do that will be rewarded. And isn't it a tragedy that there are so many people around the world, probably right now, dancing to the front, throwing their money in, thinking they're going to get their reward, and God says, you've had your reward in front of man. And the very thing that we should be longing for, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with God the Father, is the reward that we will get if we're doing this in secret. 2 Corinthians and chapter 9, and our last couple of points for today will be from there. And I'll be going through these quite quickly and building on them more next week. Our giving will be blessed. Our giving will be blessed. I'm not saying that giving won't be blessed. I've just already said, haven't we, that there is a reward here. And both Jesus and Paul emphasize there's a relationship between our giving and our Lord's giving to us. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Now I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And I'm sure this verse has been taken out of context to give us this idea of a seed offering and a guarantee of return. Now, now there's not a guarantee of return, but there is a guarantee of blessing here. You see, you cannot have a crop without throwing the seed in the ground. We've had seeds in our house, and we've looked at them, and Rachel has still got some seeds, and they're still in the packet, and we still haven't had the fruit yet. You only get the fruit when the seed is planted. And when the seed plants and grows, then you get the fruit. And then you get 
the harvest. And you see, as a church, we want God's kingdom to come. We want his name to be glorified. We need to invest into the kingdom. We need to give. And unless we are giving, there's going to be no fruit. There's going to be no growth. And so this is not a principle like making money for yourself. But it's about seeing God's will on earth being done. And it's this promise of saying, well, if you're going to be stingy in your giving, then God's going to be stingy in his blessing. And the more that you are given is the more that you can be done. And maybe, just maybe, the reason you haven't got a lot is because God knows at this moment you won't give much. And maybe, just maybe, you need to show yourself generous. And out of your generosity, God may give you more to be generous with. I don't know. But if you're being stingy, and holding on for yourself. How can there be a blessing there? The Lord will take care of your needs if you're seeking first the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is to look out for the poor, and to look out for the needy, and to maintain the church, and to look at how we can reach out. And we should, and we can expect God to bless us in the life to come. There are so many Christians, particularly in the West, who are desperately trying to achieve a standard of living, yes? We need a standard of living. We need a certain size car and a certain size house. And we have to have this. And we think this is our right, yes? And how long do we live? And then we're in heaven, yeah? And then we're in a proper house. And we have proper transportation. And we have the real thing. And yet we are stingy in this world trying to grasp something that only lasts for a lifetime. Friends, let it go. Let's look forward to eternity. Let's invest. Let our treasure be there in heaven rather than here. We need to realize that God has given us so that we can give. And as we give, I'm sure the Lord will bless in many different ways. But our giving needs to be willing. No one should tell you what to give or how much to give. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Each one must give as he's made up his mind not reluctantly or under compulsion. There was a church in England that got in serious trouble from the charity commission because this church managed to get itself some credit card machines, some post machines and they were going around with some big gentlemen to visit the members to collect the offering. There was uh, not voluntary, it was mandatory. There was compulsion there. And that's not how it should be done. And, And if you can't drop your money in the box willingly, don't drop it. Ask God to help you to be willing. Drop the amount that you can willingly drop. Don't think that's not enough. Ask God to help you to be willing if you're not willing. And and if you're willing to give but you've got nothing to give, then what should you be doing? Asking God to give you the opportunity to give. And remember that giving isn't just about money. It's about your time. It's about your energy. There's some of you here, there's a lot of you here, that you are time rich, money poor. Your time can be used to God's glory. Your time can free somebody else up to do something else. Don't just be thinking, it has to be money. But we need to be willing 
to give. And is your giving to the church something that you do wholeheartedly? Or is it grudgingly? Or, or, or do you do it at all? And we can have that question, how much do you give? Do you have to tithe? And I think what's more important is not what must I give, but what can I give? And, and next week we're going to go into that into to more more detail. But just lastly for this, this afternoon, and, and we'll, we'll go into it more next week, is that our giving should be within our means. Uh, verse 12, for the readiness is present, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. You, you shouldn't be giving what you do not have. If someone is telling you to give your rent to the church, it's wrong. Your rent money is for your landlord. If someone is telling you to give your school fees or tithe your school fees for the church, they're wrong. Your school fees are for your school fees. Yeah? You can't and should not give what you haven't got. God doesn't want it. God understands you haven't got it. There's no shame in not having. Don't worry about it. You see, we're all supposed to give in proportion to what we have. And those of you who have been blessed with more, there's more responsibility. And those that have got less, don't worry, don't be ashamed. Give what you can afford. Give what you can give cheerfully. For the Lord loves a cheerful giver. But friends, I just wrap up here. I really want just to emphasize that our giving should be motivated by Christ. Christ gave himself for you and I. He gave everything. And so our life should be lived in the light of that. And, and next week, as we go on and develop these a bit further and look at some of the particular giving, seed offerings, harvest offerings, thanksgiving offerings, the special offerings, and all those things in the context of God's word, I trust the Lord will help us because of what Christ has done to enable us to be cheerful givers of the little or the lot of our time of our resource or whatever, so that he is glorified. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's you speaking to us through it. We pray that we would be hearing you today. And oh Lord God, if there is in our lives an attitude that's been wrong with regard to our giving, forgive us. And Heavenly Father, you know that for some of us we've been taught wrong stuff in the past and it's just what's happened. We thank you that we can leave our past behind going forward in your strengths, in your ways. Help us to hold to your word, O Lord God. And if we've been convicted, if we haven't been giving as we should have, forgive us. If we've been giving for the wrong motive, forgive us. If we've just been grumpy and upset about our giving, forgive us. Help us, O oh Lord God, to realize the wonder of what you've done for us through Christ and that amazing gift of his life. And may we be those who are cheerful givers. And as we give cheerfully, O oh Lord God, may we see your kingdom come. And may we see your will be done. And may we see that reward in its righteous sense. And may you be glorified now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. prayed.
Amen.